Well, now we're being recorded, so apparently we have to be mature adults. Anyway. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. And with me at a more than adequate social distance (laughs) at the other end of a big long table, it is... I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EAA Aviation Museum Programs Coordinator. And joining us uh, through the magic of the internet, Chris, we have a guest. We do, we do. It's someone that uh, we had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with before. Uh, really a cool story that we just couldn't wait to get on to the, uh, the podcast here. And it's Ashley Blaine, who I think is all the way in, are you in Montana this morning? Yeah, that's right. I'm sitting in Billings, Montana. I think it's, well, you guys probably have similar weather to us, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, it's actually really warm. Here. It's been warm here. Yeah, it's been all over the map for us. It's 60 today, uh, but we had snow the day before Halloween, so yeah. who knows? <laughs> Yeah, we've had record-breaking snow here, so it's, it's been a cold one so far. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for coming on. We're really uh, looking forward to talking with you here today. Um, can you tell well, us? Thank a little... you guys for having me. Absolutely. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the the first time that you went flying? I understand there's a story where you went flying at like an extremely young age, correct? Yeah, that's true. I I actually can't remember the first time I went flying. Uh, I was a little too young for that. Um, rumor has it that I was two weeks old, uh, and my parents took me in a Bell 205, um, just to a local neighbor's house here. And, uh, I, I actually had virtually no interest in flying myself until I was 13. And then I flew a glider for the first time and it's been downhill ever since. Now I, I have to ask, is that, is that typical sort of in your family that, uh, we're going to go visit the neighbors. Let's just take, put the baby in the helicopter <laughs> and, and fly over there. Cause I, I'm in love with that life, but, uh, it's, it's not necessarily typical for everybody. Yeah, we are. We're pretty spoiled. Um, it, it is not atypical. I guess I could say that, uh, anymore. We don't actually have any Hueys or 205s around. So it's more of a, actually, Bell 47s these days. My dad and I run around in those more frequently. Oh, that's so cool. That's no big deal. Just get into the MASH helicopter and go for a spin. You know, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so I, I guess there's not much uh, to ask into this because it sounds like the influence is pretty clear. But but how did you just start? Uh, how did you decide to start flying? What, what really kind of sparked that for you? Uh, like I said, it was gliders. Um, my uh, dad was going on a business trip to California, and we don't really have any gliding going on locally here in Billings. Um, so I'd never been exposed to it. And went to California, went on my first flight, and that was it for me. Um, from there, it was just kind of a constant pursuit of ratings for the past six years. Uh, mostly I've just been restricted by my age. So you had that first glider flight uh, out in California, and then did you just did you start training right away uh, at age 13 or did you, did you find something when you got back home or how'd that work? Uh, no, I did start training right away. Um, and I think I spent two days there, uh, just, you know, starting to get the hang of it. Uh, then I went back down about a month later and I spent about uh, a week um, and it was just right before my birthday. And, uh, I just flew until I couldn't anymore. Uh, I think I did 22 fights and two days, one of them, uh, just trying to get me to where I could actually solo. Um, so it was a lot of work, but, you know, since it was so far away, I was limited on time. Um, so had to kind of go headlong into it. 
Ashley, you'd mentioned to me that while you were doing the glider flying, um, something kind of interesting happened that involved uh, one of EA's air touring aircraft in your logbook. Yes, that's right. My first logbook entry ever, actually. Um, I we were headed. Uh, we were actually leaving California, and uh, we went to Gillespie Field, just kind of killing time. We were going to go to the museum, um, and turns out air, that airplane museum they have there was closed. And right next door, they were doing Ford trimotor flights. Uh, so we ran over to see if they had any availability. Um, and got a ride in one of those. Turned out the pilot was actually an instructor. And uh, he offered to put the flight in my logbook as a uh, duel. And I didn't even have a logbook up until that point. Um, I had to run to just one of those little pilot supply stores next door <laughs> to get one. Uh, just so I had something to put it in. <laughs> my first entry ever. That is just fantastic. You know, I'm not uh, a math genius, but uh, a quick look at the numbers tells me that uh, 66% of the people on this show right now do have uh, trimotor time in their logbook. So, Chris, oh, I'm not really? sure. I don't. I don't have trimotor. Okay, so 66% yeah. is correct yeah. then. Yeah. So anyway, that is just what a uh, incredible experience that must have been for you at such a young age. Kidding aside, and and what a uh, fun and fascinating airplane to fly isn't it oh amazing yeah i bet you guys have you know have a lot more experience around them than i have that's the i think only the second time i've seen one in person um so yeah every time i go out to oshkosh that's one of the first things i look for pretty cool airplanes that is really something um you know, before we sort of get into your progression in uh like in helicopters specifically and what you're doing now uh, you mentioned, and I've uh, I read in another uh, story, in fact, a story that Chris did about you. Um, you mentioned this pursuit of ratings. Um, can you just kind of run us through that list real quick? So you started with uh, started with glider. Were you, you like student pilot glider? Was that your very first first milestone? Yep, that was my first one. Uh, I got my yeah. I soloed on my 14th birthday in gliders, um, and that was you know my first ever license. Uh, from there, I got my uh, private glider certificate and glider earth sorry I already said the glider part um, when I was 16 I did that on my birthday um, from there I had to wait another year till I was 17 before I could get my private and helicopters and airplanes um, but I, did, I did that as soon as I was able um, from there 18 I uh, got my commercial in uh, all three categories as well as my uh, CFI and my double I um, and my CFIG my glider instructor rating um, and then just a couple of type ratings mixed in throughout that. So, yeah, it's been busy. And there was one point where you, you did some insane number of check rides in one year. Do you, do you recall what that number yeah. what the number was? Yeah, that was 13. I think I must be a, a masochist or something. It was torture. but uh, 13 you check know. rides wow. in one year. That's right. That's, I, I, believe yeah. you, I believe you said you felt like you wanted to crawl in a ditch after that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an exact quote from me. You're right about that. Oh, boy, was I wore out. It, so, I, I honestly was a little burned out by the end of it, but worth it for sure. So, uh, again, as I mentioned before we, we kicked off the, the show, we don't normally talk about – we would normally sort of talk about ages, but that's, a, that's an important <laughs> part of your story. Do you mind sharing uh, your age right now? Yes, I'm uh, 19, and uh, rumor has it that I look more like I'm 15, so I still get a lot of weird looks. <laughs> That's really funny. Do you, 
have you ever met anyone who didn't feel like a complete and total failure uh, when they <laughs> when they met you? Because I'm looking around, I, I don't I I don't know what I've accomplished, but uh, I have 13 check rides in one year and all, all of this before pers- you're 19. I think it's really about perspective because my school career was just horrible. Flying, <laughs> that's kind of where I shine. School, not so much. So it really is about where you look. Well, uh, I guess we at AA would, you know, never encourage somebody to do poorly in school, but I don't mind saying we, we love your priorities. We applaud your priorities. If it, if it makes you feel better, uh, I was homeschooled. So I, you know, despite all the traveling for all this training, I, I, I did somewhat go to school. <laughs> did somewhat go to school. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I know, of course, um, you know, your family owns the helicopter, uh, uh, service there. Can you tell me what, what really first drew you to helicopters? Was, was it just growing up around that environment or, or just what made you You want to go fly them? It's hard to say. I think I was just watching my dad and the work he was able to do with them. Um, we do a lot of search and rescues and, uh, you know, just uh, another fun thing we do is we have an electric Santa we tow behind helicopters on Christmas Eve. Um, and it's, it really just looked like something fun. And I had grown to love flying so much by that point um, that I knew that I, you know, I didn't want to just stop at airplanes. I wanted to go all the way. Um, and he was pretty tough to convince, actually. It, it took some serious needling on my part before he, uh, he would let me learn. And um, so I... Uh, Ended up with a Hiller 12C, a 1952 Hiller. And uh, from there, it was just, I fell in love with it. Now, when you say you ended up with that Hiller, is that something that that was owned by the family? You found one to rent, or can you elaborate on that? Uh, No, it was actually, uh, I originally bought a uh, kind of a a wrecked one um, from a town near Billings. And uh, my dad's deal was that if I could find a Hiller uh, for a good deal, he would let me learn to fly. He would teach me. Wow. So I found this wrecked one uh, near Billings, but it was going to be far too much work to put, to put it together. So we kept it as kind of an organ donor. Um, and then uh, we found another one on Vancouver Island and drug it home. It needed a little bit of work, but overall it was just a beautiful aircraft. Um, so we fixed it up and uh, we actually just sold it last year. I was pretty bummed, but I, I've been flying that since I was um, 15 up until uh, I was you know, 18. Um, so we had it a long time and we actually, we like to joke that it was the oldest, you know, truly working helicopter in the world. We would herd cows with it regularly in the winters and, um, yeah, it's, it stayed busy. So what, uh, I feel like there's so many questions. I'm, I'm still kind of hung up on the electric Santa, by the way. Is that, is that something, if I Google like Billings, Montana, electric Santa yeah, 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 helicopter? You should do it. Okay, so that's look, something that I can find. Billings Flying Service Electric Santa. Billings Santa Flying Santa Service Claus. Electric yeah, Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah, it'll that's... be the first thing that pops up. Okay. I'm either going to see something really cool involving flying or or a strange progressive rock album from the 70s. Um, <laughs> we'll see what uh, see what happens. Um, so talk us talk us through. There's, there's uh, you know, there's certainly uh, a lot of pilots in our audience, and certainly some of them are... are helicopter pilots, but I would venture to guess that a lot of them are, are fixed wing only. Uh, mm-hmm. So step us through what that's, uh, what, what that's like. I mean, you obviously you started fixed wing with gliders, but you got into helicopters and you're around them very early. What's that training progression mm-hmm. like? Um, 
you know, I, it was honestly kind of kind of simultaneous. Um, you know, kind of my pursuit for my private um, fixed wing and helicopters. Um, I was working on them both. I got my student certificate in both when I was sixteen. Um, and to be honest, it just happened very quickly. Uh, it it was kind of a you know, I guess I never really differentiated the two. Uh, to any like extreme it was always very much you know I had both skill sets I guess you could say um so it wasn't as difficult I would say for me to transition into helicopters as it might be for another person who's more fixed wing um just in the sense that I was doing both at the same time so there was never a really big knowledge gap between the two that's really interesting so you say there was there was no knowledge gap but did you ever um I don't want to put it as simply say, well, did you ever forget which one you were in? But did you find that, <laughs> did you have muscle memory or something that uh, that, that caused yeah, any challenges yeah. as you were jumping back and forth? Um, I would say the biggest thing was, uh, I remember my dad caught me one time. Uh, he was just working with me on auto rotations around uh, the time he did this. And um, he just did a simulated engine failure in a helicopter. Um, and we were in cruise, so, you know, you want to... Um, pull back a little bit, lose some airspeed, and obviously uh, kind of opposite reaction for an airplane in the sense that um, oftentimes you want to get your nose down. So I would say that's probably the biggest one for me. Um, also, when I did my private helicopter, uh, my Czech airman actually commented that he could tell I was an airplane person first, particularly tail draggers, um, <laughs> because of how much I used my uh, pedals. <laughs> So I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but I'm thinking insult. <laughs> I think we should all take it as a compliment, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really. And well, in the the fact that that somebody looks at you and says that the they can tell you flew tail draggers because you're at least used to using your feet actively, that piece will always be to me always be a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So. Uh, no, I think that's about the only difference. Like I said, I think, you know, um, it, it would be harder to transition if I was just strictly airplanes for a very long time. But doing a both at the same time made it a lot easier. I didn't have a whole lot of habits that were thoroughly um, ingrained in me from one or the other. So I think it made swapping between the two easier. Well, and I, I, I don't want to keep harping on this, but kidding aside, uh, you were doing these things at an age when you're uh, you're really, really well suited to learning all sorts of new things. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. um, and my gosh, it's, uh, it is, it is amazing to, to look at the, uh, the, the ratings and the experience that you've amassed in such a short time and, and ha- thinking about how those things, they're going to be with you, uh, with you forever. And, you know, you've, you've accomplished, uh, you know, before you turn 20, you've accomplished what could be a, a career for a lot of pilots. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny you bring that up because right now I'm kind of uh, on the fence about how where I want to go with all of it. So uh, that's been on my mind a lot lately, which career path I want to take, helicopters, airplanes, or something outside of it. But I'm thinking I'll stick with it. Excellent. Well, I think we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, your future in a little bit. But uh... <laughs> well, So, I, you know, I, I know that the Billings Flying Service uh, – is, you know, of course, your family business, you guys do a lot of important jobs out there. Arguably, the most important would be fire suppression. Um, and that leads to flying some pretty interesting airplanes or aircraft. And, uh, you know, one of the ones that really I think that I first saw you associated with 
uh, was the Blackhawk, and I believe you're your command pilot on the Blackhawk, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I have my uh, type rating in the Blackhawk, um, and I'm hoping to do my Chinook type rating uh, later this spring. And to be honest, I am a huge Blackhawk fan. I would probably pick it over the Chinook any day. They're a lot more fun to fly just from a pilot's perspective, at least in my opinion. You know, it's very subjective. Well, so how did you feel the first time going up and, and taking a Blackhawk pilot or a Blackhawk up as a, you know, as one of the crew, as one of the pilots? I mean, that's got to be a pretty uh, cool sensation. Yeah, it was pretty great. I think I was 17 at the time, and uh, we weren't working, so, you know, I didn't have to have my commercial at that point, um, and I was just flying as a co-pilot. And uh, I have to say, I don't think I shut up about it, but at least a solid week after that. It was pretty <laughs> spectacular. <laughs> That's awesome. And you uh, you mentioned that uh, you enjoyed that over the Chinook. I mean, the Chinook is another legendary aircraft. Um, what's it like to fly the Chinook? Uh, amazing helicopter. I mean, it's it's incredibly, incredibly capable. Um, you know, for example, my dad and I did a job earlier this summer. We moved a 25,300-pound uh, drill. Um, and just seeing the work that they're capable of doing, it's kind of mind-boggling. Um, and, they're, you know, I think a lot of the time they there's this you know, misconception that they're so difficult to fly and you have to be Chuck Yeager to do it. And um, I have to say that I somewhat disagree with that. Uh, they're they're not, you know, assuming that you're a pretty capable helicopter pilot, I didn't find the transition to them uh, overly difficult. The systems on them are pretty complex, but actually flying it uh, very similar to um, really any helicopter. It's just bigger. You know, I just heard uh, an interview with Jaeger the other day, and somebody asked him about the Chinook, and he says, oh, you got to be Ashley Blaine to fly one of those things. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> So speaking of the, the Black Hawk and the Chinook, um, I mean, those are already uh, pretty uncommon. I mean, not unheard of, but uncommon to find even in, in civilian hands. You know, you, you think about a Black Hawk pilot, a Chinook pilot, primarily you're thinking U.S. Army, uh, or certainly mm-hmm. the Black Hawk, uh, you know, serves in, in all branches. Um, is it, uh, how often do you run into other civilian pilots with experience in, in either of those two? And I, I certainly in the firefighting you know, world, they're more, I guess they're a little bit more prevalent than just sort of day to day, but. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. In the firefighting world, it's, you know, not near as uncommon. And, and also around our company, um, you know, pretty much everybody is, uh, flies both or, um, I guess I should say most of our guys are schnuck guys. Um, so it's never felt like a really, a, a huge deal, I guess you could say, um, just because, I've been surrounded by them for the last several years, and all of our pilots are very willing to teach. Um, you know, most of them were instructors at one point, if not, uh, still are. And I think that helps kind of with the intimidation factor, too, is the fact that, uh, you know, people have been trying to teach me for the last several years, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a new thing. So, you know, the first story that I saw about you, you of course, was talking about forced uh, firefighting. So... I just have to, you know, for a lot of us that, um, you know, have never flown into that environment or know what that's like, can you tell us, you know, what's it like? Like, how do you train? Uh, well, actually, I, I take that back. Let's let's even backpedal to that. Can you just tell me about your first time responding to a fire? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I uh, my first fire was last year. Um, 
my dad and I were up by Lewistown, Montana, and uh, uh, we had been um, just called in. We were just going to be based there, and uh, we were kind of on standby at that point. Um, and we probably sat for most of the morning. That's the unfortunate thing about fires that, you know, we all have to deal with. And I don't think many people are aware. It's a lot of sitting. Um, but, uh, anyways, we got called out. It was just a grass fire. Um, so it wasn't, you know, a huge rage or anything. It was pretty small, but spreading fast. Um, and I have to say it's, it's not as scary of work or, you know, uh, intimidating as a lot of people seem to think. Um, take a lot of precautions to make it safe. Uh, we have excellent aircraft. Um, that's the thing I really like about both the Blackhawk and the Chinook is uh, they have a lot of redundancy. So it, they always feel like a very safe uh, helicopter compared to, you know, what else you could be flying, a Huey or whatever you want to say. Um, but that was my first fire. We were working with a couple of seats on it. And uh, it's kind of, I didn't have a whole lot of prior training to that. It's mostly on the job, I guess you could say. Um, you know, obviously I had the helicopter flying, but fires are a totally different world. Um, so I, I have to say I was pretty clueless. Um, and my dad kind of walked me through it procedurally, uh, who you get in contact with. Um, and it, it is a lot different than I expected in terms of they dictate where you dump water. Um and the communication sometimes gets a little complex in the sense that it seems like there's a million different people you have to talk to before you can do much of anything. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was not really, a, it wasn't a scary thing. It was kind of just like, this is our job for today. Um, we'll go do it to the best of our ability and keep it safe. Now, Ashley, you mentioned flying with a couple of seats. If I'm remembering my nomenclature correctly, those are single engineer attack. Is that correct? Or? Uh, yes. I believe so, and you can't judge me too much because I'm not involved in that world. So I okay, can't remember fair all, their, but you've all got, of their acronyms. So you've got <laughs> no, something they, they like a... water as well. Sure. So you've got something like a... Um, uh, what we'd most people think of sort of a, a crop duster, but a turbine-powered uh, ag airplane yes, of some exactly. kind that's uh, potentially on floats and scooping from a lake or maybe being loaded on a base, and so you're, you're working coordination with them. Um, Exactly, yeah. And oftentimes lots of other helicopters, too, depending on the size of the fire and the resources available. So when you're dropping uh, when you're dropping water, are you – well, let me maybe back up even a little bit from that question, uh, as Chris did. Are you always dropping water? Do you Are you ever carrying other forms of retardant? And then are you attacking fires directly? Are you doing fire lines? Or is it is it all of the above? Kind of all of the above. We do water retardant. Um, I was on a fire last month, actually the one where that guy took my picture and posted it on the internet that started this whole cabal. Um, it uh, <laughs> We were doing mostly retardant, um, and we were just uh, doing fire lines, like you said. Um, and we don't really dictate where we drop it. Um, you know, there's guys on the ground. Uh, there's people in the air that are deciding, hey, we need it here, we need it here. Um, so that sort of, like... Uh, you know, the, that isn't something that we have to really think about where where exactly we want to dump it. For the most part, we're guided and then try to make it as precise as possible. Um, and that side of the work is something that I'm not even capable of doing it um, for the most part uh, because we're oftentimes working with buckets, which is uh, external load work. And that takes a lot more skill than I have at the moment. I'm just in the process of learning it. Um, so that's all my dad or the captains I'm flying with. Um We'll have to figure that part of it out. That's interesting. Now, if you're in, uh, uh, if you're flying second in command on one of these helicopters, will the 
command pilot do bucket work or do both pilots need to be rated or, or trained in order to be comfortable with the external load stuff? Uh, no, actually, the uh, most of our co-pilots um, are not trained in uh, external load work. So it's just the command pilots. And, uh, I mean, all of them are incredibly talented. We do a lot of precision placement, um, you know, even to the extent of having to place stuff on bolts. Um, so they're very talented at what they do. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a skill that I want to get. But it's, um, you know, going to take me a lot more practice before I'm capable of doing what they have to do. Now, did I hear you correctly say placing stuff on bolts? So I'm picturing something like a, uh, like a big electrical tower that's got to be... Exactly. Okay, put in place something like that. So you've got... You're lowering it down, and then you have you have people on the ground that are then helping guide it those last few inches, or. Yep, you got it. Yeah, the, um, sometimes they'll like string ropes through it so they can guide it um, a little bit more precisely. But yeah, it's very very difficult work. Um, it's I, I don't think it's anybody any fun um, to have to do, especially with an audience. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I feel pretty good when I can like back my car into a spot. So, yes, exactly. uh, so you know, I know how I know the. I can't even do that. You want you want to teach me your ways? <laughs> right. Let's talk about parallel parking yes, for just yes, a minute exactly. on a really tight spot. Oh, don't down, ask about that. Yeah. Downhill. I can drive my city. car into the car wash and it doesn't get off yeah. the rail. You know, yeah, I'm doing. Although uh, Chris, you driving your car through water is not always uh, a good topic. You know topic. what? You know what? The, I can't Chris, talk about uh, it on here. <laughs> not to tell tales out of school, but uh, <laughs> but Chris once uh, temporarily lost a car yes. thanks, to, uh, yes. thanks to floods in the city yeah. of Oshkosh. But yeah, anyway. they, they don't make oh, a, boy. Yeah, challengers make one heck of a good car, but uh, a lousy boat. Lousy boat. So, uh, uh, <laughs> I avoid going places if I have to parallel park, so the fact that you guys are even discussing it, I mean, you got one up on me. The, uh, <laughs> the, the sad thing, though, is that, you know, here we are decades and decades older than you, and we're still not good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You would just sort of assume that, well, with That gives age, me hope, then. Oh, yeah. But, well, I, I appreciate you putting it that, it that way, and that you're not just there sort of crying quietly on our behalf. So one of the questions I wanted to ask was when you're flying into uh, a working area for fire, you know, does it – do any of the environment in the fire – get to you in the cockpit what i mean by that is does it get hotter in the cockpit do you get smoke at all in the cockpit anything like that um the smoke isn't noticeable but yeah you definitely get it in um you reek by the end of the day uh if it's you know if it's thick smoke um and it does get yes very hot particularly in the chinook because the forward transmission is directly above the cockpit well not directly but pretty darn close um which just contributes to the whole situation. Uh, it actually has shut down some of our pilots' iPads in the past because it's gotten so hot in the cockpit that they overheat. Um, so it can get pretty miserable, but I think that's the one advantage I have as a girl is I usually run a little colder than the guys, so I've got a one-up on them. It's not as miserable for me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, when Ashley, when you're not, uh, when you're not fighting fires and... and doing all these other these other amazing things as part of uh, part of a job uh, do you fly for fun and if so what you know what do you like to do or what do you like to fly i am not picky uh you could <laughs> give me just about anything i'd be happy oh, okay. um, and not to I suggest to that the, the probably... work you do isn't fun i shouldn't uh, i should be careful there but <laughs> no I, I see what you mean more relaxing um we've got an old super cub that we've kept around and that's uh, what i learned to fly fixing in um, that's probably what I take out the most frequently just for kicks. Um, and we've also got a 180, uh, that I, I really love to fly. So, but to be honest, I'm not picky. 
Um, you give me just about anything and I wouldn't complain. <laughs> and from the sounds of things, you wouldn't have any problem with it either. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but, oh, I was going to say, yeah, the, uh, in terms of the helicopters, just for fun, the Bell 47, I think you guys actually run a couple at Oshkosh every year uh, yeah, giving we, rides. So. We do. We have, I think, as many as, is it three? or There's like four three, or, yeah. That are going at any one time. Wow. And, I, I, it's the closest I feel to the TV show ever. I feel <laughs> right. you come out of work and just like, I feel like yes. I'm a mash. It's great. Yeah, we we give my, Chris my a dad megaphone. And I just got done. Oh, <laughs> Go I was going to say my dad and I just got uh, done watching. I think like all eleven seasons of Mash. So oh, that's awesome. Really, uh, that's awesome. We're, we're really feeling it. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we give Chris a megaphone and he runs around, you know, attention, all personnel, yeah. incoming wounded. Yeah. <laughs> and then we give him his crayons and send him back to his office. You wear the outfit and everything? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen him dressed as Hawkeye. I, that's that has correct. happened. That's a Halloween than, uh, costume yeah, a that's couple happened times. More than and, oh, yeah, really? Dressed as Hawkeye, yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unlike uh, Electric Santa, I don't believe that can be Googled and yes. seen online. Yes. Yeah, oh, unfortunate. <laughs> well, what you guys can't Google on my end is my dad dressed up as Santa one year for that flight, which was uh, even better. Oh, really, really improved the whole thing. Now, yeah. was he flying or was he strung underneath <laughs> as part of <laughs> no. a, an external load? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just hung him on the hook. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, that that hits close to home for us actually because you know, we uh, every year at EA we have an event uh, called Christmas in the Air and and uh, it's a free event for the community as part of our museum and uh, uh, Santa Claus arrives in a Bell Forty Seven. Oh uh, really? Weather oh, weather cool. permitting. I didn't know you guys did that. Uh, it's yeah, it's always it's always cool to see Santa come in and it, it used to be a nighttime event and I I remember a couple of times at. Uh, uh, just marveling at the professionalism of the helicopter pilots because this was, you know, it it was uh, it was legal. I want to make sure that's that's quite clear. But this was a snowstorm <laughs> that that I felt a little funny driving in. And here comes the Bell Forty Seven, uh, you know, out of the snow with Santa on board, last you know, landing in the dark in the parking lot. But uh, uh, very cool to see. What? Oh, yeah, no, I. Um, we've had a couple of those years ourselves where it's, uh, we've come close to having to cancel. Um, but we, I think we've only canceled twice in the, all the years we've been doing it. And my grandpa actually started the tradition and I, I swear to God, we're just the most hated family in Billings. If we cancel for, for a solid month, people get very, very angry about it. <laughs> well, people, uh, it's like, like the old saying goes, people need their electric Santa. Yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, I just made exactly. that saying up, but. But I think we need shirts to say that now. <laughs> so, so, Ashley, I got one for you. Just out of curiosity, uh, you know, we, you've flown a, a pretty cool array of aircraft and, and helicopters. What's one that's out there that maybe you're, that's kind of on your bucket list that you still want to get your hands on and fly? Ooh, um, boy, there's pro there's a whole lot. Um, I mean, in terms of like business jets, the the first one that comes to mind is a PC 24. I would kill to fly one of those. Um, Carbon Cub. What else? Um, oh, what are they? The um, I can't think of what they're called. The ones that Red Bull uses for uh, aerobatics, the helicopters. Oh, the BL 105s. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. And P fifty one. Those are like the first couple that come to mind. But there's a there's a whole list. To be honest. <laughs> Those are all all excellent choices. We're well, you know, out there in Montana. You're not all. I mean, you're not next door, but you're not that far from Washington State, and uh, 
you know, Cub Crafters, the Carbon Cub folks are right there in, in Yakima in eastern Washington. That would not be a hard thing to uh, to make happen, I'm willing to bet. So you can at least get the Carbon <laughs> Cub checked off your list. Someday, someday. We all have to have stuff to dream about. Well, that's true. <laughs> and, you know, you're not getting any younger, Ashley. You know, you, I mean, I hate to be rude, but it's about time, time you started here. accomplishing something yeah, yeah, in your life. Right. and. You know, before it gets too late. I mean, you sound like my dad. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> he was parallel parking as he was saying that. By yes, the way, exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> just showing off over here. Oh my gosh, it's uh, it is just it is just amazing, and I, I hate to keep coming back to it, but it keeps it keeps hitting me again and again. You know that we're talking to somebody who has you know you've got you've got your entire life ahead of you, and you've got. An astonishing and an astounding uh, and uh, inspiring head start on so many different things that you could do if you want to do. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I mean, I, I don't know. I've got a few friends of mine who are going to school right now for aviation, and it really does put it into perspective uh, how lucky I am. My dad was able to help me with all of this because it's just, a, uh, I guess, such a hard industry to break into. So it makes a big difference to have a foot in the door. So let me ask you uh, ask you this, since you mentioned having friends, if if uh, if if you were uh, out at the airport or or somewhere and uh, a young person came up to you, say, you know, say she's 12 or 13 years old and says, you know, I want to do what you do. What uh, what advice do you have for somebody like that? You know, several of these interviews I've done have asked me that, and I still don't have a good answer. Um, well, now's your chance to get best... it perfect. That's all. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. Don't put the pressure on or anything. <laughs> um, and I think I've actually had a few people uh, message me just on Instagram and Facebook about it. And usually my best advice is, uh, you know, organizations like the EAA, the SSA, um, AOPA, any one of them uh, have, you know, various scholarships available. Um, and that's usually my best advice, particularly the SSA. Uh, I spoke with one of the members last year, and they were having difficulty giving away some of the scholarships because no kids were applying for them. Um, so I think, you know, it's uh, there's resources out there to help. It's just kind of a matter of digging, um, and hopefully they can at least uh, be a stepping stone until, you know, you can figure out if that's even a career you want to pursue, uh, at which point I think that's when it comes down to are you going to get loans and everything for school, which is unfortunate, but probably reality sure and you mentioned the ssa of course that's the soaring society of america and uh, mm-hmm. we do have uh, uh we've got a good partnership with them it's a great uh, it's a great sort of sister organization focused on on gliding and things and um and that is unfortunate to hear that they have uh, they have trouble giving away scholarships and I've, I've i've heard that from other organizations here and there over the years uh at uh you know at ea um one of the things that we've been so excited about over the last couple of years is our, our race scholarship program uh, administered through REA chapters uh, where we've been able to, uh, uh, to give out $1.2 million a year in uh, flight training wow. scholarships to young people, $10,000 at a time. And uh, in the uh, December issue of Sport Aviation Magazine coming up is a little preview where where we have a feature story written by producer Ty over there behind the board, in fact, uh, celebrating uh, the fact that uh, 100 of our scholarship recipients have uh, 
have passed their private check rides. And so oh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's really, really fun. It's really exciting. You know, we've 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 had our Young Eagles program that I know you're familiar with, and we've been mm-hmm. so proud of that and so excited by that over the years. And and to have hit that milestone of two million Young Eagles uh, four or five years ago, um, and now to have this scholarship program that's uh, that's taking that, but uh, that concept and and narrowly focusing it, but just to say, hey. Uh, you know, certainly in the pre-pandemic world, we were all talking about the pilot shortage, and now we can say, mm-hmm. "Hey, look, you know, we got to we got to support the creation of a hundred new pilots." Um, but I, I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing, Ashley, as your story has been uh, all over out there, and like I said, it's it really did blow up on social media and everything else. Um, I wouldn't bet against you uh, directly inspiring uh, far more people than that. And uh, I, I would put my money on you in terms of uh, getting young people excited about wanting to do this. And, and um, I think most importantly, believing and, and coming to understand that they actually can do it. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it, too, is, um, you know, I've, uh, some of my cousins have been working on their ratings. And I, I don't think they, people understand the work that goes into it, you know, so that I think um, kind of turns a lot of people off of it. But the ones who push through, it seems like it's, uh, you know, most of them have a passion for it. And it, I know a lot of pilots who it seems like they really found their calling once they have an opportunity to even just go for a single flight. It's pretty cool to see. That is always cool to see. And I'm always fascinated because I I don't think, I, I think 90, 95% of the pilots I've I've known in my life and I've been around it my whole life um, – just had to be passionate about it. Otherwise there would be no way they would get through it. There's no way they'd sort of push through the, the, the challenges and the studying and the long hours and sometimes the, the frustrations and setbacks you hit during flight training and things like that. Um, and, uh, and I think that makes all of us involved in it. Uh, you know, we all feel a little bit, uh, a little bit lucky because we had the passion to, to do the hard work and then, if we're lucky enough to spend our lives, whether flying recreationally or being involved in aviation as part of a profession, uh, that's uh, that's something to celebrate, and that's something that uh, you know not everybody gets to say that they can do. Some people, oh, know, exactly. Some people just go to their nine to five and they punch in and they punch out and they they don't give it another thought. And if that works for them, great. But uh, you know, I I count uh, all of us here, and certainly you among the among the lucky ones who. Who get to do it, and uh, and it's hard work, but it probably doesn't always feel like work. No, definitely, and I think you're exactly right about that. Um, you know, if you don't have the passion for it, it's, it would be really hard to pull it off. Um, because I I don't think I would have gotten as far as I have if I didn't truly love it. Um, just because it is a just a crazy amount of work um, and the stress too that comes with it. Yeah, it's definitely wouldn't be something you want to do just for a paycheck. Oh, absolutely. So you you mentioned earlier, and I, I'm looking at the clock and realizing we're getting uh, getting close to our time here. But you mentioned earlier that uh, you're you're still sort of thinking about uh, about what's next. Um, I mean, as someone who has had I, like I don't know 46 different careers or so uh, over the last 30 <laughs> years, um, I, it, that's interesting to me that. Uh, uh, that you're, you're thinking about, uh, about several different things. And that's, in fact, I think it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. You're, you're too young to say, 
I'm going to do this job for the next 40 years and get my gold watch and retire. But what are the things that are out there that you're thinking about, both uh, either whether it's inside or aviation or even, as you said, maybe maybe potentially outside? Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've been trying to kind of keep my options open, I guess you could say. Um, I uh, I worked at a vet clinic, actually, um, from when I was 14 till I was 18. Um and I, I really love that work. I've often, sometimes thought about going into that field. Um, right now I'm in school, actually, I'm going to school for accounting, which before you laugh at me, you know, if I lose my medical, I can still work. So I figure that's the logic behind that one. Um, Nobody here laughed, I and, swear. Okay, yeah. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'm, I'm also doing an EMT class right now, uh, just while I'm going to school. Um, so... I'm try- I, I guess I'm trying to feel things out and see what exactly I want to do, because obviously I, I love flying, but it also does come with its drawbacks in the sense that um, sometimes the stability of the industry kind of turns me away from it. Um, you know, firefighting. Last year, we had virtually no work. Uh, there was no fire season. This year, uh, I had to go out and work over the weekend, even though I'm in school, because we didn't have enough pilots um, and we'd been running so late into the season. It's just it's feast or famine. And. I, I sometimes think it would be nicer to go into a more stable career field. So I've, I, I guess what you could say is I'm not sure yet, trying to just keep my options open and figure out what I want to do. Well, that's, uh, that's a good outlook. That's a good insight to have. And um, you certainly sound like you're, you're well prepared for just about uh, any eventuality. Like you've got plan A through at least plan D or E so far. <laughs> well, which, uh, I'm, I just re- I just really don't want to be sitting on a street corner somewhere with no job. I think I would go nuts if I was unemployed. So, <laughs> so uh, maybe one final question as we wrap it up here, uh, and that is, uh, uh, so we fast forward uh, 20 years, and here's Ashley Blaine, CPA, owns her uh, owns her accounting <laughs> firm. is doing just great in, uh, in that world. Uh, are you still flying? Do you fly for fun in that in that future? Oh, of course. Yeah. Even if I wasn't working, I'd definitely still be flying um, for fun. And I, yeah, I don't think that's ever something I'll really give up, especially considering, you know, uh, I really love recreational glider flying and powered aircraft flying. So, um, yeah, that's, that'll definitely be in the future. <laughs> well, that's good to know and, and not surprising. Um, so as we as we wrap up here, uh, Ashley, is there? Do you have any kind of public facing social media? Is there a place where people could follow your exploits if that's something you're interested in? Uh, well, I have to say my social media is pretty pathetic. I didn't even have a single post on my Instagram until this happened. Um, <laughs> but yes, I do have an Instagram account now. Uh, again, not very good, but it exists. <laughs> Uh, well, you're you're and, selling it hard so far, so 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 maybe maybe a future in sales better, uh, for you. <laughs> I, I figure they better just know what they're getting into here. Uh, uh, I'm not a liar. Uh, that's honest. So <laughs> we find you on Instagram at Ashley Blaine, or how? Where do we find you? Yeah, yep, Ashley Blaine. That's what it's under. Okay, so that's A S H L I B L A I N. Yep, you got it. Excellent. And uh, if you really want to know the inside scoop, my dad's more, uh, he's having more fun with my Instagram than I am. He's like <laughs> dictated the last two posts. So <laughs> There is nothing about your life that is uh, traditional in any way, is there? That's fantastic. That's <laughs> You're 20 years old, and dad is the is uh, dad's the one who you, who's uh, mess, or messed around on social media all the time. He's having a 
having more fun than uh, with it than I am. I got a little weirded out because somebody tried to buy my socks. So I kind of backed off. After that. <laughs> I don't think there's a way to follow that. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really. What a great way to close this whole thing out. Exactly. It's just let's uh, let's kill this episode with the stony oh, silence. Just, yeah. Somebody tried to buy your socks. I just had to um, regain my composure. Yes, that's hysterical. Well, you've broken Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I am uh, I'm close behind. So with that, uh, Ashley, it is time to uh, to say thank you so very much for taking some time to join us. This has been such a such a blast. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Oh, yeah, I had a great time. Thank you again for the invite. Well, and it's uh, it's absolutely our pleasure. It's a privilege to talk to somebody who is as accomplished as you uh, and truly uh, truly an inspiration to anybody out there looking to follow their dreams uh, at uh, at any age. Uh, and, Ashley, <laughs> we, we appreciate uh, not only you taking the time to be on the show, but, of course, the, the good work that you're doing and uh, the service that you've put in and helping uh, combat, combat some of those awful fires out there in the West and the, and the Northwest in particular. So with that, yeah, well, happy to help. Uh, it's uh, again our pleasure to have you. Thank you so much again, Ashley. Uh, be sure to give Ashley a, uh, and her dad uh, follow on Instagram at <laughs> Ashley Blaine. And uh, uh, for the rest of us out there, uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everybody for the good comments and the feedback, the great reviews we get uh, on iTunes and other places where you consume podcasts. You can always leave comments on the blog posts that accompany each episode at inspire.ea.org. Uh, and uh, send us a note at feedback at ea.org, and that'll find its way to us as well. So with that, thanks again to everyone for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And we'll catch up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>